I have a hernia. So you do actually have a hernia. So I went to the doctor and I have an umbilical mass. Ooh. Yes. So I have to have an ultrasound to see what exactly is herniated and then to go on with the process from there. But it's an umbilical hernia, which is right under my belly button. I noticed it because I got out of the shower and I thought I had an Audi. Oh. And part of me was like, ooh, this is because I'm losing so much weight and getting abs and this is just a natural change in my belly button because I'm so fit and that is completely the wrong perception (laughs) to have (laughs) no I I have no idea how long it's been there you know it might not be him and I think it's because I had to carry around this goddamn it book for so long last year that's probably why I I certainly got tired of uh, carrying it around and holding it and reading it I resented having to read this book and take it on. I went on quite a few trips over the fall and it would take up like a quarter of my suitcase. Yeah, I decided I was going to bang it out on my flight to uh, Mississippi um, and I still hadn't finished it by the time my flight got into New Orleans. Um, So I was pretty annoyed and it was taking up lots of space. Yes. I'm surprised they didn't charge you extra to bring the book on the plane. I know, it's heavy. And even when I would take it on these trips, I would never read it because I wanted to have a good time on the trip. Yeah, um, my opinion about it has changed quite dramatically since uh, before we started reading it and now that we're finished. Well, I can't wait to get into that. Yes. Well, who are you? Well, I am... Let me think about this one <laughs> Oh, I'm so sorry I asked you such a tough question. <laughs> I didn't realize it was so loaded. <laughs> it's not. I just get, you know, I am not feeling my best today. It's been a rough day. Um, I am Joshua Gross. I'm Chance Lee. And this is Gross Misinterpretation. <laughs> do you remember? It's been a long time. It has. What the hell do we do? Um, we, we examine media from a queer viewpoint. That's right. We examine media from a queer viewpoint, um, in particular Stephen King most um, of the time. And we Yes, are doing... you force me to read Stephen King garbage and then tell me to be positive about it. <laughs> It's a sadistic torture experiment. Why don't we focus on the positives? Um, Like, the first positive (laughs) is that this is part two. This is the last time we have to talk about this. This is the last time. So today we're talking about um, It, the 97,000-page Stephen King novel. And last time we read parts one and two of the book... Um, and for this time, we started with part three, Grown Ups, and we read through to the very end of the book. Yes. And it killed Josh. It did. Yeah. <laughs> I was just realizing that I had not actually wrote a plot summary, so I'm just going to have to make one up on the spot and keep it short. The same thing. I didn't write one either, so because I just hesitate to revisit this. Um, but I'm first over dueling plot summaries. Wonderful. So That'll give me time to think. I'll, you think, 
uh, and listen intently to every word that comes out of my mouth. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, it, Stephen King, part two, the Losers Club is now all grown up like the Rugrats, circa 1999, and they return to Derry, Maine, because it has returned and they're gonna kill it with the ritual of chud which (laughs) (laughs) it sounds like ritual of chode but that's not something that I know what it is but it might involve them gang banging their friend so they kill so the clown is a pregnant spider and then they kill it and then all the boys put their like 13 year old dicks into Beverly and they're all healed the end wow that has got to be like your your best plot summary ever <laughs> those are the only things I remember <laughs> no I, I know we're gonna see how this goes uh, okay <clears throat> let's see things I remember about part two all right, so now all the all the kids are just annoying adult versions of themselves, and they come back to Derry, and they eat Chinese food, and then, well, I mean, scary shit happens, of course, but for some reason, Stephen King decided he needed to, like, bring in Bill's wife into the picture, and, like, Beverly's scary, abusive, nutbag husband... Um, and like um, the bully Henry Bowers um, he, he comes back too and it's just like one big weird extended family reunion in Derry um, to go fuck up the it monster um, the, and then they weirdly go back and forth between killing it as kids and killing it as adults and there's eggs and a gangbang. The end. The end. Lovely. And the book takes place over the course of 27 years, and it takes 27 years to read. It does. It really does. So, do we have any... We talked about the context of this book last time. Did you have anything to add? I kind of did. Um, the book doesn't... Obviously, we've mentioned this before, but the book doesn't quite work like the the movie does. It's not like part one and two, like the movie or our podcast. Um, It's all kind of interwoven together. I mean, a lot of the kid stuff happens at the beginning of the book. Um, But then part two, it's kind of all combined. Like the climax of the kid's story is also during the climax of the adult story, which is probably why I didn't remember everything that happened. um, Because it's all mushed together, and it's really confusing. Um, And it's really... Has a lot of really long, unnecessary passages, I felt. Yeah, and the reason for that is because they all had amnesia when they left, and so their right their memories start to come back. Right. So then that's why it's all interspersed within the plot. But we had to have large chapters about their adult lives now, and them getting the call, and them going, and it's a lot. Every single detail is explored. Of everything. Everything. Ever. 
So let's move on to our newest segment on gross misinterpretation, which are our gross motifs. We're going to pick the top three motifs or themes that stand out to us in a book and talk about them. So Josh, what was the first gross motif that you noticed in part two of Stephen King's It, a novel, now a major motion picture? Um, our first gross motif is going to be fat shaming. Um, it's something that's throughout the whole book, though, but it's also like a trademark of Stephen King um, and boomers everywhere, apparently. Um, the book? Yes. Yes, I told someone recently, I was, I was talking to someone about my own issues with my age, um, which I will not reveal on this podcast. Um... But I have a a friend in town who's 80 years old. And when I tell her my age and how I hate it and everything, she's like, excuse me, I'm 80. How am I supposed to feel if and it's a very honestly, it's a very good point that she she has, you know, and that's not my intention to make her feel bad. But I told her, I said, I'm sorry, but when I was growing up, the worst things you could possibly be were old or fat. So, right. like, like my grandmother just hated being old, and all my mother talked about was how awful it would be to be fat. And it's so deeply ingrained in me, these age issues and weight issues that I carry with me. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you're talking about. I've been having to visit my grandfather a lot lately, um because he lives on his own and he's he's getting really old um and he never misses an opportunity to tell me how fat i am um and what i can do to not be as fat um and then the last time i was over there um his friend marilyn was there too um and she she turned to me and she says wasn't there a time where you lost a lot of weight and i was like yes yes i did i lost about 80 pounds and she's like yeah you looked really good then i think you should do that again just like, do wow. it again. Both just, of them just are just coming at me now um, about my weight. So I, at that point, I was like, this is clearly a thing among this generation. Um, and Stephen King really, uh, really embodies that as well. I'm curious if you'd share any of the weight loss strategies that your grandfather suggests to you. Um, well, when he found out he might have diabetes, he stopped eating Tootsie Rolls. Um, <laughs> and he started walking every day with his dog um, up to the Seven Eleven to get coffee um, for him and his dog, uh, and then walking back uh, home. Wait, he gets coffee for the dog? Yes, the co- the dog gets coffee too. I didn't know dogs could have coffee. I, well, I didn't either, but. Man, I love 7-Eleven coffee, though. If I had a dog, I would give it seven. a hot Brazilian from 7-Eleven. <laughs> yes. So tell us about all the fat shaming in this book, all the man boobs and... Most of it seems to circle around um, Ben, um, the, mm-hmm. whose main characteristic and personality trait is that he's fat. Um, mm-hmm. And then we get to hear some of his... Um, childhood trauma about being fat um, and the um, surprising amount of abuse that he suffered at the hands of his uh, his PE coach um, right what, in like middle school or something how old is he at this point that's it was right. later it was, it was after the 
clown stuff. Yeah, so it was probably middle school or, or high school. Um, but yeah, I couldn't believe like some of the things this coach said and did, um, and we're supposed to just be like, yeah, that's that's acceptable for you know a a, a teacher to say to a student, um, even if it makes him mad, because um, he's like somehow weirdly inspiring him by you know shaming and abusing him, like he literally grabs his man boobs at one time and tells him how disgusting he is. Like, this is like the ultimate boomer fat shaming situation. Right, and then um, so Ben is then inspired to lose weight. Um, he, he actually punches him in the stomach, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, so he punches him after he loses the weight. So Ben goes through like he he starts training and eating better or whatever and loses all this weight and then comes back and confronts the coach and is like look at me now um now i've you know i'm so much better um and even though i've lost all this weight i wouldn't want to be on your team which anyway is, which is ultimately ridiculous because he's not he hasn't been empowered um, he's just proving the coach right. He abused you into losing this weight, um, and you haven't proven anything um, and acted out of misplaced vengeance. You're just you're getting revenge, which is no reason to, to do anything, and you still have these issues. You're just thin now. Yes. But everyone else, so he's telling them this story. Um... Is it at the Chinese restaurant? I don't know. He's telling them this as an adult. Right. Because somehow they weren't around. They weren't friends anymore. I don't remember or care. Um, But he's telling them this. And they all congratulate him. Like, wow, what a good job you did. That was amazing. Woo. Yeah. Because there's no actual deep thought from anyone in this book. Well, and I think that would have been the general attitude of, you know, somebody of that generation reading the book um you know they've been like yeah good for you for showing that asshole uh yeah instead of like being completely horrified by the whole situation well my gross motif is nipples everybody loves nipples everybody loves nipples as long as they're on a woman right um Stephen King loves women's nipples um Although you noticed a man's nipples in this book, <laughs> which was startling to me. But because um, I noticed them as well, I was like, oh, Mike has nipples. Mike opened up his shirt to show them a scar and it was between his nipples. <laughs> and I just I just would have expected him to be nippleless like a Ken doll <laughs> when he opened up his shirt. Yeah, I was pretty <laughs> surprised there. Um, so I also like Stephen King. I also love nipples, um, but they come up a lot. Well, literally, because they're always hard and popping out. Um, it, it's this interesting, like almost like sexualized version of horror that he does. So whenever a woman is in danger, we've got to be aware of how her 
nipples are popping out, you know, or she's always naked. Like, like we're just, Audra has a bad dream. And of course she can't just wake up from a bad dream. She has to wake up and like her tiny breasts are jiggling as she's panting heavily from waking up. It's like, why, why do I need to know any of this information? Like, I don't need to know that the guy's, you know, penis is flapping around as he's running in fear. (laughs) So it's all very sexualized. Um, yeah, it's like, oh, it, I'm sorry you're scared, but how do your nipples feel about this? How do your nipples feel? They're like the barometer of fear. <laughs> like, are you scared? Let me check my nipples. No, they're not They're not hard. I'm not that scared yet. Not quite there once yet. They, they point the way towards the exit. You're like, oh, there we go. Let's go. You know, and you just <laughs> follow your nipples out of the out of away from danger. Um, but I'll, you noticed how Ben was looking at the 17-year-old library clerk's nipples. Right. Um, <laughs> and you the know. explanation for it was so funny. Because um, he goes into the library where he used to hang out when he was a kid. And it's mostly the same because me, as someone who works in a library, slow to change and adapt. Um, so I imagine in the 80s it was virtually the same. But he realizes, you know, that he's not still in 1958. He's in 1985 because that girl ain't wearing a bra. And I can see her nipples. And it's like, there's no time travel in this book. So there's no reason for him to even think he was in 1958. (laughs) And she's 17 years old. Clearly braless. Which so. was an important detail to add to the book, I feel, that, you know, this random encounter in the library with a brawless 17-year-old, what the book just wouldn't have been the same without it. It would not have been the same without it at all. You know, I've got to remember, I, next, you know, my next library gig, I'm just going to recommend to any young staff members to not wear a bra and promote Stephen King's it. Be like, oh, you know, this can be my Halloween. This that could be their Halloween costume. Brawless library assistant from Stephen King's it. That's a great a idea. Very niche costume and, and and probably an HR violation. Absolutely, but. but you know, maybe Stephen King will come into the library one day, and you know, he'll really appreciate that. He might. Is he? Where is he living now? Is he in still in Maine? Where is? Is he in Florida? Where is he? I think he spends most of his time in Florida these days, but he still has a, a place in Bangor. Mm, well, I'll be in Massachusetts. So, <clears throat> but yeah, yeah, that's really that's all I have to say about. It. There aren't as many nipples um, in this in this part of the book, but. Um, Bill does have a cheerful erection, which I thought was interesting. Uh, ooh. Well, are there any erections that aren't cheerful? <laughs> I know, like an angry erection or, you know, I don't know. But I thought it was interesting, especially because he mostly just talks about the ladies and their nipples yeah. and stuff. And he did mention Bill having a cheerful erection, like at the very end of the book. Wow. Because why? Because he's about to, like, bone his small-breasted wife or yes, something? I think that's why. Are we on to the third gross motif? Yeah, I think we should talk about your third gross motif, because this one's really gross. It is. It's deviant bisexuality, which we've uh, discussed before, um, specifically in um, Rose Matter um, and probably Mm -hmm. a few other places. Um, But it rears its ugly head in this book in part two. um, No, not part two. Whatever part we read of 
it. Um, this second section of it that we read, I mean. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the form of Patrick Hockstetter, who is um, who is also a bully, but not part of the main bully group. Um, like, in the movie he was, but, like, in the book, he's just kind of, like, the weird bully that the other bullies don't like to play with. Um, Aww. And it's probably because he wants to jack off the other guys. Um, there is a, there's a scene in the second part of the book where they are all in the junkyard and, um, Beverly comes up that on sounds them by like, accident. <laughs> that sounds like a euphemism. <laughs> he wanted to jack off the other guys, and they're all in the junkyard. <laughs> hey. Now, um, that would be a good name for a gay bar, the junkyard. <laughs> I agree, actually. That that would be good. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, back to the actual junkyard. <laughs> so they're in an actual junkyard. <laughs> Um, Beverly comes upon them by accident and hides behind a log or something so that she can, (laughs) I don't know, watch what they're doing for some reason. Um, And what they're doing is they have their pants all the way down and their underwear and they are trying to light their farts. Oh, fun. Have you ever done that? No, I'm really scared I would set like my my butt on fire. Yeah, you know, that that. You would think most people would be scared of that, but not these guys. Um, they're all just uh, in the junkyard in the middle of the day with their pants around their ankles, trying to light their farts on fire. Um, uh, I've seen this porn. Which <laughs> which Beverly finds highly amusing. Um, but then, like, these uh, arbitrary reasons for um, two of the other bullies to leave come up. Um, and it leaves... Patrick alone with Henry Bowers and they're both just kind of standing there with like their wieners still hanging out um, and mm. Patrick's like hey I want to I want to show you something neat and like starts jacking him off um, like the other guy yeah starts jacking off uh, okay. Henry Bowers um, who, who seemed like he was totally into it um, and I feel like if Patrick hadn't said something he probably could have just moved right on to the next uh option but uh he decided to interrupt and you know get consent from him first about giving him a blow mm. job and you know that's where he made his mistake because then henry bowers was like no that's gay i'm not into that faggot shit um and the moment is ruined unfortunately oh that does ruin a moment <laughs> <laughs> nothing like being called a slur to ruin the moment i mean some guys are into that and if you are i don't judge but it's not my thing <laughs> no um, but so then Patrick is left by himself in the junkyard, um, possibly still with his pants down. Um, Let's hope when he gets um, he gets attacked by a monster from the refrigerator. <laughs> like okay. there's, there's an old like 40 style refrigerator in the junkyard that the parents always warn the children about that they're going to get trapped in um, and a monster comes out of it. Um, and starts coming after Patrick and ultimately like eats him or kills him or something. Um, oh my. Yeah. And I was like, wow, this is literally like, uh, well, it's, it's like punishment for his gay tendencies, like his deviant homosexuality or bisexuality has to immediately be punished with death. Um, yeah. 
it's a it's also a familiar trope and a familiar idea and a lot of things um and so i was kind of annoyed because i didn't remember everything that happened but then i was like oh that's great another dead queer person even if he was an asshole right because we had um adrian mellon who is the one that's based on the that real murder that happened in maine and the fictional character of Adrian is called gay and childlike um, in this part, which is like, what? Like, where did, where? <laughs> like, why? Just why? Extremely like, patronizing. As a fictional character, why is he, yeah, why is he created that way to be childlike? Or that, yeah. Which is just, uh, I guess, another example of Stephen King's worldview these little gay simpletons in Maine. Right. Hey, you know, getting getting killed for, for being gay. Yeah. At least now we can have deviant bisexuals fetishized for their bisexuality instead of being murdered. Yeah, that's nice. You know, we take what we can get. Uh, yeah, it's maybe a lateral promotion, but it's something. <laughs> I, I play the Fire Emblem game. Oh, Do yeah. You know Fire Emblem? Uh-huh. Um, and there's the first gay character in, in Fire Emblem, Niall, um, from Fire Emblem Fates. Um, in the mobile game, they really amp up his uh, horniness level. Like, oh. everything he says is about, like, his weapon or how he wants to help you handle your weapon. And oh, my. They, they really play up his, his deviant bisexuality. That sounds fun. It is fun. I spent lots of orbs trying to get him. <laughs> I'm going to assume that's a euphemism for something. <laughs> you would not be wrong. <laughs> so that sums up our, our gross motifs. So our motifs for this book were fat shaming, nipples, and deviant bisexuals. Everything you could ever want in a book, really. Everything you could want in a in a seventeen thousand page book, and nothing you Those need. Those are the main themes that stand out. We'll talk later about what we need, if anything, from this book. Absolutely, um, and we can talk about that now. So that brings us to our next segment, which are our gross burning questions. Because <laughs> I had some burning urges while I was reading this book, and I need to, Josh. I need to talk about them. Absolutely, um, go right ahead. Because you're, you're a professional who can help me diagnose this these burning feelings that I'm having <laughs> after reading it. <laughs> so I'm just curious. Um, so this book, hang on, I'm going to look in my, in my book um, just to get the exact date again of when it was published. 1986. Um, and so when did it the movie part one come out? That was like two years ago. Right. I think. So, a little over 30 years, 32 years after the book was published. Well, there's a miniseries um, in the middle there in 1990. It was, but, I mean, it's it's back. Um, just like It, the monster, and the book comes back every 27 years. I'm just wondering why this book still resonates. Um, and, and then along those lines, if it's even the book that's still resonating, or if the new movie was made more out of fondness for the miniseries than the book. Oh, that's an interesting theory. 
Right, because I, I, I'm just going on the fact. So, so Josh works at a major chain bookstore, um, which might spoil it because there's only one. <laughs> but um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> but you sent me a picture of like. I mean, like 27 copies of this book on a shelf that were not being sold. So that's why I'm just wondering, like, is anyone actually still reading it? You know, who saw the movie? Like, did the movie... I mean, I'm sure movies boost sales, but... Did it really? I'm just curious. Most It seemed like most of the people that came in for the book when the movie um, was really popular, especially the first one... Uh, were children. Yeah, a lot of the people that were buying it were, were children. And I, I guess there is a new, younger generation that's, you know, experiencing it for the first time. Um, mm-hmm. And they seem to go along with, like, the the Stephen King renaissance or whatever you want to call it. Um, but I don't I don't know why. I don't know why this book would, would resonate with them. Um, other than, like, everybody sort of likes nostalgia, even if it's not their own. Um, so right. that, I mean, there's that aspect of it, and I mean, he does at least have characters that seem like, <laughs> you know, that, you know, they're not all fancy rich people. I guess they are when they're adults, but you know, they they're not when they're kids, and they're, you know, his characters are at least relatable, even if they're, you know, two dimensional. It a book with characters. <laughs> But no, I mean, the movie, even though the movie's rated R, the both parts, um, part one, and to a much greater extent, part two, feel like PG-13, just like jump scare thriller movies. I think they're very, as far as horror movies go, very child friendly yeah. in the sense that it, there's very little that is actually horrific. Um, it's a theme park thrill ride. It's a it's a ha- it's a trip through a haunted house. It seemed like it's another something... version of Stranger Things. Well, yeah, and it has Stranger Things kid in it, right? Yes. Finn Wolfhard, right? But yeah, it, so there's the '80s nostalgia. But again, there's nothing actually traumatic in it. There's nothing that is going to linger with you or make you think or or stick with you in the movies. I mean, so oh, that's right. probably what 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 draws kids this is a horror movie that like it you know pure especially puritan america there's no like gratuitous sex there's no nudity in these it movies other than like the cartoon witch woman's swinging boobs in the (laughs) second one but it's all just like a cg thing so it's a it's a movie that's very safe for parents to allow their children to see even if they're under 17 yeah and it wasn't especially graphic or gory either no no i the only reason i feel like it was rated r is because stranger things kid says fuck all the time right and so yeah so i just i the movie must have drawn kids to the book i'm curious how many finished it we we talked about this briefly on the last episode i think but i remember trying to read this book in sixth grade and I think I literally read four pages before I stopped 
Well, and I, I agree. I think there's a lot of kids that bought the book and, and didn't finish it, and it was not at all what they were expecting, especially from the movie. Um, I mm-hmm. think they were probably pretty disappointed. When I read it when I was 15, I was all up Stephen King's ass, so I'd read as many pages as he wanted me to. Mm. But, mm. you know, I think these younger kids didn't even have any idea what they were getting themselves into. Yeah. We do have a few kids at my library who had come in for Stephen King books, and one girl checked out it and then went to the car and then came back and said, my mom is making me return it. (laughs) (laughs) So she tried. (laughs) She tried. Yeah. Uh, So did you have any... um, You had a gross burning question, I believe, about the book's finale. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so I must have read it... Well, I was 15, so what was that? 1996? Um, And the movie comes out, and it's really popular, and then I start seeing online, like, people are like, hey, did you, did everyone forget about this part of this, the Stephen King book, um, where they all have a gangbang as children? And I'm like, yeah, I did forget that. What are you talking about? Um, I don't remember that at all. Um... (laughs) and um probably because of how back and forth the ending is it probably just you know got slipped in there uh, right under the radar um and i (laughs) something got slipped in there (laughs) um and i i didn't really think about it also stephen king's always overly unnecessarily sexual about things so i probably just Mm -hmm. kind of shrugged it off at the time but nowadays i was like what are you are you kidding me for what purpose what what is this um and yeah sure enough um that's the the climax if you will of the um children's side of the story um they they decide that well beverly decides i guess it um from an idea put there by her dad um that all the boys should uh, have sex with her in order to strengthen their bond against this mysterious it monster which um, I did not understand at all. And I was like, are we, we really going to do this, huh? Um, yep, and sure enough, and she was pretty uh, pretty practical about it to begin with until she got to the people she really wanted to have sex with, and then it got a little more romantic. Um, but it was, it was, uh, it was surprising to, to have at the, the end of the book. Um, and another, another reason why it is not a children's book. That's very true. Um, It is absolutely insane. It makes no sense. They're in the sewer. They've killed the monster. And they're like, how do we get out of the sewer? And Beverly's like, I know. Oh, that's right. She takes all her clothes off and like summons them over one by one. It makes, I mean, is it her dad's like an abusive rapist? Right. And she knows this. And she's like, oh, yeah, my father has this idea about, like, strengthening bonds. And I'm like, what? that is exactly something that someone who is trying to, like, rape his daughter would tell her. Hey, hey, exactly. sweetie, I got something that's really going to help us with our relationship. Come here and hop on, hop on pop. <laughs> but they talk so much about, like, the serious power of this act um, and like and like while it's happening, like again, as you talked about, it flips between like the adult perspective and the child perspective. And like adult Beverly is is like almost 
bragging to herself about how she was Bill's first love. And I'm just right. like, you fucking morons all peaked when you were 12. Like, this is just like, who cares? Who cares? Why does adult Beverly still think that this sex she had as a 12 year old in the sewer is important? Like, <laughs> well, you never or know. meaningful Su- sewer sex might be amazing. That's true. That's true. You know, I'm I, I'm all, I'm like 24 years too late at this point, but maybe someday I'll get to experience that magic. Um, and then she starts thinking about like, ooh, you know, this is all related because when you're a kid, you don't call it sex. You call it it. Have you done it? Are you going to do it? And oh, I'm like, yeah. is this like this is what like if that's the case if that's the case Stephen King is trying to make for this being relevant why aren't they fucking the monster like if it's all about doing it <laughs> go over and fuck that spider like <laughs> I mean honk that clown nose let's go to town on it <laughs> so I mean if that's what they're trying to do I mean as someone who's seen the new movies I would fuck that clown because that clown is hot yeah, that's um, true <laughs> So, um, and then like when it's all over, she's like kind of grateful it's over, but also kind of sad at this like now hollow feeling she has inside. It's like this, this, like she's going to hang like a vacancy sign on her vagina for the rest of her life and just be sad that like, you know, will never be full again. And I just, I, I am just baffled by it completely. Yeah, I am too. And like when they first started mentioning it on the internet, I'm like, what? Why? It, it, and reading it, it doesn't make any more sense. Uh, so I had read about this scene um, on that tour.com Stephen King reread, um, which this article was published in 2013. But I found it after hearing about that scene when the movie, the new movie was coming out. Um, And I remember reading the comments and I'm scrolling through them now because I want to try to find the series of comments where they're then defending it. God, here's one. P.S. Am I the only one disappointed there wasn't a 1000 page it sequel 27 years after the first book? Good God. Okay, so the reason I didn't find it in the comments is because it's the author of the piece who's defending it, oh, not the God. people in the comments. Of so, course it is. Um, let's see. So the author of this piece, who I feel like he's had a lot of questionable uh, opinions about Stephen King, Grady Hendrix. <clears throat> this is what the author of this piece has to say. I can't think of a single scene King has written that has generated as much controversy as the scene in which the kids in 1958, aged between 11 and 12 years old, have defeated it but are stumbling around lost in the sewers, unable to find the exit. As a magical ritual, Beverly has sex with each of the boys in turn. She has an orgasm, and afterwards they are able to ground themselves and find their way out of the sewers. Readers have done everything from call King a pedophile to claim it's sexist, a lapse of good taste, or an unforgivable breach of trust. But, in a sense, it's the heart of the book. Oh my god, did he really say that? 
it draws a hard border between childhood and adulthood, and the people on either side of that fence may as well be two separate species. The passage of that border is usually sex, and losing your virginity is the stamp in your passport that lets you know that you are no longer a child. Oh my god. Beverly is the one in the book who helps her friends go from being magical, simple children to complicated, real adults. If there's any doubt that this is the heart of the book, then check out the title. After all, it is what we call sex before we have it. Did you do it? Did he want to do it? Are they doing it? So that's in the book, but he doesn't say that that he got that. He doesn't say he got that. That t- they say that in the book. He acts like it's his own idea. Um, wow. And and then so she he goes on to talk about Beverly for a bit. And then he comes back to it and says that it is a sex positive anecdote. A way for King to tell kids that sex, even unplanned sex, even sex in the sewer, can be powerful and beautiful if the people having it truly respect and like each other. That's a braver message than some other authors have been willing to admit. That doesn't make any sense because is he implying that the book is for children then and that children should be reading this? Ooh, that's a very good point. Also, barf. Yeah. I know. I don't. So I don't know what the guy's thinking. So yeah, I was. I was mistaken. Most of the comments are then like, "You're fucking nuts." <laughs> okay, great. So um, there are a few who either write the book off entirely because of that scene, or say they still like it because of that scene. I don't like the book just because it's shit. Even before that scene, um, and that's me being positive. Wonderful. Good job. Thank you. You about ready for this quiz? Ooh, do you have a quiz? Well, I have more quiz questions from Stephen Spignessi's The Stephen King <laughs> Quiz Book. <laughs> oh, my dear Stephen Spignessi. Yeah. I'm ready. All right, I gotta find ones that I haven't already asked you and that are actually pertinent to the second half of the book, so bear with me. Well, I'm never gonna remember what you already asked me, so you could ask me again. Oh, here's a great one. What was Ben Hanscom's Nebraska address? <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? You know, I don't <laughs> think I could even name a single town in Nebraska. I think you could if you thought about it for a minute. What's the capital of Nebraska? Don't tell me. Don't tell me. Lincoln. Excellent job. Okay. There's Is another his address major- in Lincoln? I don't Lincoln, Nebraska. I haven't got to the answer yet, but there's another major oh. city in Nebraska. Nebraska Falls. Um, maybe <laughs> I, I haven't heard of that one. <laughs> What's another major city in Nebraska? <laughs> uh, Omaha. Oh, like where the stakes are from. There you go, yeah. All right, so the question was, what was Ben Hanscom's Nebraska address? Okay, so he's in Omaha. I'm sorry, that is incorrect. Do you have any other guesses? Lincoln. That is incorrect. Nebraska Falls. That is very incorrect. The correct answer is Ben Hanscom rural re- rules... No, yeah, Rural Star Route 2, Hemingford Home, Nebraska, 59341. 
I can't believe you didn't get that chance. Stephen Spignelli is just too much. He's the Will Shorts of Stephen King trivia. Well, sometimes. What was the name of Beverly Rogan's clothing company? Um. Um. Purses RS. That is almost certainly incorrect. Swank. Uh, no. Underage orgy. That's terrible, and no. Her fashion line was called Beverly Fashions Incorporated. Jesus Christ, that is the worst name for a clothing line. It is. It really is. Beverly Fashions? Can you imagine anyone, like, 1986, Joan Rivers, red carpet, what are you wearing? Beverly Fashions. Like, Joan Rivers would barf. (laughs) (laughs) Like, right on that dress. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Uh... Next question. This is question number three. Where did Mike Hanlon work? The the library. The Dairy Public Library, yes. Yes, the Dairy Public Library. What other library would there be in Dairy? Okay, I got that one. All right. We'll say so. Question number four. What was the name of the Chinese restaurant where the losers had their first reunion? Is it something racist? Yes, this is a difficult question to answer without being racist yourself, so good luck. Ah. I'll just send a shout out my favorite Chinese restaurant, Jade Dragon. You are extremely close. Oh. With the jade or with the dragon? With the jade. Okay. Um. Uh. Uh. What else is there? Uh. Jade noodle. No. Jade chopstick. One more guess. Jade temple. No, I'm sorry. The correct answer was the Jade of the Orient. Mm, that's so, a, a bad. Another, not a good name for a restaurant. No. I don't remember this part at all, um, so I don't know what part of the book it was, but I'm just going to read it and you can see what you do. What was the name of the bar where Eddie King was chopped to pieces with an axe by Claude Heroux? Was that the black spot? No. This is this is a different bar. The junkyard? <laughs> An excellent guess, but no. The the dairy watering hole. No, there's no way in heck you're ever going to guess this. I'm not going to guess any of them. The answer is the silver dollar. Maybe we should just have five questions for this quiz. Hey, I'm not done. 
Well, I don't I don't think you're being very optimistic right now, Chance. I mean, you're a very smart mm. young man. I think you could do it. Okay, thank you for believing in me. I will always believe in you. And America. Next question. What was the name of the ritual that allowed Bill to triumph over it? Chud. There you go. You got another one. Good job. But it's but the U has like an umlaut. It's like chewed. Right. What side note? What is the ritual? Is that the thing where like you had to like bite each other's tongues? Did they do that? I remember something about like somebody had to bite its tongue while it bit their tongue and stared into their eyes or something. Do you remember any of this? No, that doesn't even sound physically possible. I I I don't think that I'm just making this up. I'm just trying to visualize what it would be like to bite someone's tongue as they're biting my tongue and I don't think that's that works. I'm just, I'm Googling Chud, comma, ritual of. Okay, Stephen King wiki. Ritual of Chud was a battle of wills. That's all it says. Yes, you had to bite each other's tongues and stare into each other's eyes and the first person to, to blink or I don't know what. Oh yeah, okay, I did control F tongue. Um... Yeah. Oh, God. Biting. Ugh. Yeah, there's tongues. I skimmed all this <laughs> in the actual book. Yeah, I think we just ended up skimming different parts, which is funny. And there's a turtle. Yes, that ties into um, the, the Dark Tower, I believe. Um. okay. All right, next question, please. What was the name of Bangor's AM stereo rocker? Like the... Like a DJ? No, it's a radio station. It's completely random. The Buzz. <laughs> no. The Wire. They're, they're actually... Um, the letters. Ugh. Um, W-F-E-Q. It is W-Z-O-N. Oh. What number are we like, on? Like, W-Z-O-N, the zone. Yeah, maybe. I don't remember, but possibly. W-Z-O-N is a real station, and it is licensed to Bangor and serves Central Maine. Oh, well. It first aired in December 1926. Wow. And... Du oh my god, W... Oh my god! WZON is owned by The Zone Corporation, the broadcast company owned by Tabitha King. Oh my god! <laughs> Do you think she owned it at the time he wrote this book? She owned the zone. I don't think so. What else do you think they what else do you think the Zone Corporation owns? 
Like, it's probably just a tax shelter that owns this failing radio station and nothing else. Or that maybe they own the Zone Diet. Oh my god, wouldn't that... Well, right, because they hate fat people. Yeah. Okay, anyway. Wow, uh, your quizzes just opened me up to a world of knowledge and information. It opens us all up to a world of knowledge. Thank you, Chance. Thank you, Steven Spignetti. You've called him the wrong name about three times now. <laughs> Wait, what's his name? <laughs> Steven Spignessi. Spignessi. I sound like a kid who wants spaghetti. Spignetti. <laughs> and I think you said Spignelli earlier. <laughs> uh, Steven Spignetti. Spignetti. <laughs> Paschetti, Stephen Paschetti. <laughs> Are you ready for the next question? I've been ready since 1987. What was the name of the park in Bangor where Franklin de Cruz was caught after raping more than 50 women? Oh my god. Um, Bangor Park. Incorrect. Um... Park overall. No. Park or Posey. Oh, good guess. Um, but no, the correct answer is Terrace Park, because of course it is. Terrace Park, okay. What number are we on? Are you keeping track? I am keeping track. One moment. I uh we are on one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. We are on question nine. What was on the bottom shelf of Eddie Kasprak's medicine chest? Condams. I will tell you that it is several things. Several condoms. Condoms is not one of them. And acid? N- uh, no. Aspirin? No. <laughs> what is it? They are Valium, Percodan, Elevil, mm. Darvon mm. Complex, and six Quaaludes mm. in a Sucrets box. Alright, last question. Alright, last question. What was the name of Bill Dembro's first published short story, and in what magazine was it published? It's a two parter. <gasps> Okay, was it published in Playboy magazine? No. A good guess. I mean, that's a good guess. Horror Monthly? Nope. Fangoria? (laughs) Uh, no. Okay, so fail. I'll try to guess the title. Um, Okay. The Bloody Knife. Would you like a hint... Yes. Okay. It is half of a Stephen King book title. It. <laughs> no, that doesn't even make any sense. <laughs> um, the tower. Oh my God, you're so close. The dark. Yes. 
You got it. Ah, oh, yes, flex, motherfucker. Ah, <laughs> oh, suck on that, Spignessy. And the uh, the dark was published in White Tie. White Tie. White Tie. That's where it was published. What is, what is that? The KKK's newsletter. Well, considering all the racism and appearances of the KKK in the book, it's, it's entirely possible. So, all right, Josh, do you, do you want to wrap this up? I would love to wrap this up. Well, to sum up my thoughts on it, it sucks. Yes, and my thoughts on it, it makes a great doorstop. It doesn't even do that because a doorstop should be angled so that it can fit under, you know. Oh, that's like, true. Yeah, the book isn't quite heavy and it would only prop up a very light door. All right, it's official then. It's completely useless. It's the definitive book of the OK Boomer generation. Yes, that is a, an excellent description. So, yes, what are we doing next, Josh? You get to decide live on the air. Um... Choose well, my fate. What am I going to suffer through next? Um, Dr. Sleep would give me a lot to rant about. A lot. Just a lot. Okay. Um, I saw the movie, so I don't mind reading the book. Okay. Um, and hey, maybe you'll like it more than I did. Um, but yeah, I saw the movie too, so we'll have lots to discuss, I guess. Um, and it has some really problematic um, gay themes in it, I think. Well, let's save that for next time. So if our listeners want to get in touch with us, how can they do that? Well, they can send me an email at thegrossone at outlook.com, um, or they can leave a review on um, iTunes. Or if they know me in person, they could just come up and talk to me. Oh, that's so sweet. We're fostering a community of beloved gross listeners every day. I feel like I'm, I'm forgetting a method, though. All right. Well, until next time, I'm Chance Lee. And I'm Joshua Gross. Thank you for listening to Gross misinterpretation i got the title right of our podcast <laughs> good i mean even though it's it been like nine now? months since the last episode yeah so maybe that's why i have a hernia i've just been straining with holding in you know all that i've had to say about it well i'm glad we can finally put it to bed and uh, not have to ever think about it again put it to bed cover it up with a pillow and smother it to death Maybe in 30 years we'll, we'll bring it up on the podcast again because they'll make another mini-series <gasps> about it. When we're Yeah, and when we're old and the most hated generation, we can look back and maybe enjoy it. Yes. Yes. All right. Well, thank you, Josh. Thank you, Chance, and thank you to and all our listeners, and we will see you all next time. Thank you, listeners. I'm waving like you can see me. Bye. <laughs> Bye.